If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today's guest is Kevin Town. In 2014, Kevin suffered a cardiac arrest that resulted in a near-death experience. And today we're going to learn about his experience. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it and welcome. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I'd like to say hello to your audience. All right. Thank you. So my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. And if you don't mind, can we start on the day that yours happened? Sure. Um, what actually brought it all about, this? Uh, my NDE happened in a hospital uh, that I was uh, familiar with, but I never, ever had a procedure of any type done within this hospital. So going there to have a procedure was relatively new to me in this particular hospital. But what brought it all about is one day when I was taking a shower, I noticed a lump and um, I knew it was, wasn't there before. And I was a bit concerned about it. So I went to go see a urologist and what it was, was a tumor of uh, the testicle. And I was afraid it was testicular cancer. So I went to go see a urologist and um, I wanted to see a urologist that did not use uh, fluoroquinolone drugs um, because those have really bad side effects for people. Um, it's, it really elevates having problems with it. So I wanted to stay away from that. And the only uh, urologist that I could find was this doctor down in Olean, Olean, New York. And it's um, the hospital that the surgery took place um, in was right in that city. So he scheduled it and he says, yes, it's something that has to be removed. He said, it's not, it's not cancerous. It's not life-threatening. He says, however, though, if you don't have it removed, um, it will eventually grow into the size of a grapefruit. Mm -hmm. And he actually had a patient where it got that big, but the guy was so afraid of surgery, he would not go through with it. And, and I was like, no way is that happening to me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, let's, let's schedule this and get it done. And um, just so you know, I'm a person that has, that has had surgeries all my life. I've had lots of surgeries. So nothing really rattles me when it comes to a procedure. 
Uh, my earliest memory is of surgery starting was like back at when I was nine years old and I've been having surgeries all my life since for all kinds of things. So this was just, uh, you know, just another run of the mill surgery, you know, same day surgery in and out. And so it got scheduled and they told me when to show up and then they would admit me into the hospital and prep me and get me ready. And that's exactly what happened. Everything was smooth. Everything went flawlessly. And, uh, they, uh, the only thing that was different is they did not have the anesthesiologist come and talk to me first, like, uh, so many other hospitals have done when I've ever had a surgery for something, they'd always send in the anesthesiologist to, you know, to answer any questions I might have or whatever. And, but it, at this hospital, uh, during the surgery that did not happen. And, um, they got me ready actually in the room. I was like in uh, one of those rooms that you'd be in if you were in the ER, where it's just, you've got two curtains on either side of you. You're just in a narrow little gurney type bed and you just wait your turn and they park all the patients in there. And then when it's your turn to go into the surgery room, they come and get you and wheel you in. And that's what they did. But I already had the IV in me. And then they, they wheeled me right up, uh, right up to the, um, surgical table and they let the, the side um, rails down and they said, okay, um, if you can just get, move yourself over onto the, the surgery table. And I did that under my own power. They didn't have to help me. I just moved over onto that board and then they took the bed away. And uh, there again, usually when you have a surgery like this done, the anesthesiologist would be talking to you from over your left side behind your head. For some reason, when they go to put you under, they always seem to do it from behind. You don't really get to see the cart where the mixture and the, and the, the tubes and everything are. And unbeknownst to me, uh, when I underwent this surgery, the anesthesiologist was brand new, brand new on the job. So I did not know this and I never got to meet the anesthesiologist. I had no idea if it was a man or a woman. So anyway... I, I just, I had all the trust in the world and in, in the staff. I had no reason to question anything. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary other than I didn't get to talk to the anesthesiologist and they didn't say, okay, we're, you're going to go to sleep now. There was no warning. It's like one second I'm looking at the ceiling and then lights out. I was out. And I don't know if, uh, if you've ever been put under, um, fully under with anesthesia, uh, it's like you don't exist anymore. You do not dream. I've talked to many anesthesiologists. They said, you do not hallucinate. You do not dream. There is no evidence that you exist in your mind when you're put under. So, so there's, there's no way to think about anything, dream about anything. Nothing happens. You, they actually bring you very close to death when you're put under. You can't even breathe for yourself. And so that's what happened. They put me under. And typically, whenever I've had a surgery, I always, to me, when you're put under, it's like you're out. A second goes by and then boom, you're awake. And then you're in a recovery room. You have no memory of any time lapse or having a surgery at all. And, uh, and that's, so that's what I was expecting, but that's not what happened. So while I was under the next conscious, um, thing that happened is all of a sudden I was awake. And this was the weirdest thing, Jeff, because once I was awake, I was, I was expecting because I didn't forget that I had a surgery, but as I looked around, I said, this is not a recovery room. And I was just, and I could not move. I could just move my eyes, but I could not move any part of my body. It was like my entire body was made out of cement. I couldn't even wiggle my toes, but I was laying in a very wide hospital bed. 
the exactly like what you would have in ICU. When you're in ICU, a lot of people that have never been in ICU don't know that those beds are of, of a different size. They're much wider than a typical hospital bed. And so I was in a bed like an ICU bed, an extra wide bed, and it was pure white. And I had a pure white blanket going all, and I'm laying on my back and I'm looking down my body as I'm laying on my back with my head on a pillow and the blanket went up and over my feet and then just draped down from there. And I'm laying in this bed and I can't move, but I can move my eyes and I'm just looking around. And to give you a perfect example, I know a lot of people, when they explain a near-death experience, they struggle for words um, or examples. But in my case, I got a perfect example. If you want to know what the whiteness looked like, it's the background to, like, if you pull up Google or if you pull up YouTube, if you look at a website and you just imagine everything wiped off that website and it's just that white illuminated background on the computer screen, that is identical, identical to what it was. It was, you know, when you look at a computer screen, it's illuminated, you know, it's lit, but you can't see the lights behind the screen. You don't see what's behind the, the screen of the computer that lights it like it does. And that's what the walls were like. The floor was like the ceiling. Everything was like a computer screen lit that solid white, but it was actually lit like a computer screen. And so there was like no source of where the light was coming from. It wasn't like left or right top or what it was the in, encased the room, the room was the light. And so I'm laying in this bed on my on my back and I'm looking straight down my body and I'm in a room that's like 15 by 20, 15 wide by 20 feet long. And there's nothing in it. Nothing. It's just me, this extra wide bed covered in a pure white blanket lit like a computer screen. And there's nothing there. However, during this time, and this is something that I would always leave out when I tell people about this experience, because there's no way to explain it to people. So I would always pass this part, but there was three entities in the room and they were female. Don't ask me how I know that, but they were definitely female. I could not see them, but I could feel them. I could sense them. And I could even feel when they moved, when they moved around, I had one on my left and two on my right. And then on the wall opposite, the, the foot of my bed. It was just a solid wall. And it was like, if you ever do um, editing on a video for YouTube, uh, where like you, you overlap and stitch one part of a video after you cut a section and then you overlap it. So it does a sweep into another scene. The wall just went and it opened up and I'm looking straight down my body. And I'm looking at this wall where this hallway opened up and this hallway was huge. I drive a van. This, this hallway was big enough to drive my van down it, but it was not a straight hallway that got, you know, narrow from going deep and far away. It went in about 13 feet and then it curved a perfect curve. So the opening of the hallway, as I'm looking into the hallway and it curves around, I could not see past that curve. I, my eyesight could only see forward. And the, the further you tried to look into the tunnel, the darker it got. So the tunnel wasn't lit to the backside of the tunnel. But as, as it came towards my room, there was more light. It got brighter. And I laid there and I just looked at this tunnel and I'm like, 
this is not a hospital tunnel. And I wanted to add, Jeff, that when I, when I woke and, and experienced this, I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I was not in recovery and something went wrong. I knew immediately when my eyes were open, I was in the afterlife. And my first thought that came to my head was, uh-oh, something went wrong. Something went wrong during the surgery. But I did not panic. I did not feel fear. I was not scared. Because to tell you the truth, and this is the God's honest truth, the second thought I had in my head after I, re- I realized something went wrong is I thought, they're down below. They're aware that something just happened to me, and they're going to fix it. So I was waiting for them to bring me back. I actually had that thought. Both of those thoughts happened immediately. So I couldn't move. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't talk. I couldn't scream. I couldn't ask questions. I couldn't do anything. All I could do is just lay there as an observer and watch when this this hallway opened up. It did not look like a tunnel. It looked like a it, it, it looked like a high school hallway. That, that actually had like, I could see just before it started to curve, I could see windows like there was rooms off of this hallway, but it was not a hallway you would see in a hospital because it was huge and the ceilings were really, really high and it was not normal. And I knew it wasn't. So I laid there just watching, wondering what's going what's gonna to happen, what, what's going on. And then out of the hallway came a man walking swiftly. And this man was walking out the hallway off to the right side. So he was on the far side of the bend of the hallway. And he came walking out of this darkness and started walking swiftly down this hallway to this big white room where I laid in this bed all by myself, this big empty room. And it would not let me see this man from the waist up. It was blurred there again, like like editing, like if you wanted to blur out a scene and it wasn't pixelated, it was, it was like a blurriness and it would not let me see this man from the waist up, but it, it put emphasis on his legs. Like I, I had this strong, overwhelming feeling, look at his legs, pay attention to his legs, notice his feet. And I, and I had a feeling that came over me that said, that's dad, that's my dad. And the reason why I think that happened is because when I was seven years old, my dad had both of his legs amputated due to a forklift accident in a factory. He had gangrene and he laid out at the DAV hospital in Buffalo for two years. And I'd have to ride out with my mom to go see my dad for two years. And I don't have any memory of my dad walking at all. So um, I've got spotty memories of my childhood because I grew up in a very chaotic abusive, um, dysfunctional house that had a lot of weird stuff going on in it. And it was just mayhem all the time. And, uh, so I don't have any memories of my dad walking. All I've ever known is my dad being a W amputee. Um, when he and I would go fishing on, on Saturday, when I was a kid, he, my dad would drive with hand controls and other parents of my friends wouldn't let the kids go with us fishing because they're like, I don't want you riding with Kevin's dad because he drives with hand controls and, and people really didn't trust it back in those days. So that's how I always knew my dad. Everywhere my dad and I went, I'd have to get out the wheelchair out of the car, load him in the wheelchair and push him around and get him set up and whatever. 
So when this man was walking to, towards me, he, he, I, I thought it was my dad because it was, it was blurring out the top of him, but it was putting emphasis on his legs. And he was in a pure white suit, a beautiful suit. He looked very dapper and he had dress shoes on. And I could even see the ends of the, of the dress pants to the suit swishing as he walked swiftly to me. He wasn't running. He wasn't walking slow. He was walking like, like he was anxious to get to me, like he was happy to see me. But I cannot prove that it was my dad. But being there to put emphasis on his legs, I felt like that was him. And the suit almost took on like a canary yellow color because out from behind and around the suit from behind him as he walked and this light followed him as he walked was a yellow goldish light. And so the suit being in this, this light took on that color. And it took me a while to realize that the suit was not yellow. It was white, but it was taken on the color of the light, but he was in a white suit, very well dressed. And that's when I knew this is not a doctor. It's not my surgeon. Um, I had no idea where I was. I know I was in the afterlife, but where in the afterlife, you know, was I in, in the, the in-between world? Um, I, I just knew that I was not in this reality on earth. And so as I watched him walking swiftly to my bed, anticipating what was going to happen, what was he going to say? What was he going to do? What was going to happen next? And just as he got to my bed, just got there, bam, I was back in uh, the room that I was in when I had cardiac arrest. And the thing, the strangest thing about this, Jeff, is that the bed that I woke up in in the afterlife and saw that wide, like uh, ICU bed that had the white blanket and everything is the identical bed I was in when I, when I came back. Now, I saw the bed before I saw the bed being alive when they brought me back. That was mind blowing to me because I was in the same, same spot, same room. 15 by 20, but now instead of it being empty and all white and illuminated like a computer screen, it was beep, 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 all these noises and all these computers and all this life-saving equipment. And I was in uh, a trauma unit. I was in a trauma unit. And when I came back, there is no words in the English language to describe the unbelievable white pain that I had when I came to. And there was a nurse standing right to my right, and she had a laptop on, on a high table. It was like a laptop table like you'd have on your lap if you're sitting on the couch, only it had like a, a strut on it to where you could raise it up high, and she was standing at it. And, and she looked at me, and then she looked over her shoulder, and she said, he's awake. That's exactly what she said. He's awake. And then the other uh, technician come over to check on me. There was, there was seven people in the room, and uh, it was absolutely chaos in there. And there, and as I woke up, there was all these sounds simultaneously going on. As this nurse said, she's awake. I had this, this inflatable weird bag that encased my entire body in the, in, in this really wide bed. And it had a hose hook to it that looked like a vacuum cleaner hose. And it was going, it sounded just like the old 1980s Conair hairdryer. That's exactly what it sounded like. And this thing was warm in my body. So I heard that going on. I heard the beeps of machines. I heard her say, he's awake. And then the other technician came over and she started dealing with me. And I was in unbelievable pain. Now, mind you, I had surgery on my groin. I did not feel my groin. 
I did not feel any part of me from the waist down. What was killing me was my chest. I felt like every rib in my chest was broken and I had a city bus parked on my chest. I could not even hardly breathe. I was panting like I had a collapsed lung. I could not even breathe. And she says, what's the matter? What's the matter? I says, I'm in unbelievable pain. You know, and I'm thinking in my mind, what on earth did these people do to me? What happened? What did they do? What went wrong? Why am I here? Why is all this stuff around me? And as I'm frailing in the bed and I'm moving around and she's telling me, lay still, lay still. And I was like, and I snapped at her, Jeff. I, I swore at her and I snapped at her and I says, I blank, blank, can't. I says, I am in agony. My, my honest to God, my chest felt like it was crushed. And when I was rolling, I happened to just look over right next to my bed was a crash cart. And the paddles were like all, you know, like, like they just set them there after they just shocked me. And so the crash cart looked like it just had been used. And, and, and that's when I realized, oh my God, my heart stopped. My heart stopped. And then it started to make sense why I saw what I saw, why I woke up with my chest killing me when I had testicle surgery. There's, there, there should have been no pain in my chest. There should have been nothing wrong with my chest. But when I came to, my chest was like top priority. It was like, that's what was wrong. Not anything downstairs. And, um, I just, uh, I was in disbelief on what happened. And, and when that technician come over to tend, tend to me, she leaned over the, the, the rail that was up and everything. She says, honey, we had an awful hard time bringing you back. And that was all she said. Mm. And then she went about doing all the other things, you know, like checking my vitals and all that. And I had the, the EKG machine there and all this stuff, all this life-saving equipment, this whole room, this entire hospital room was dedicated to one patient. I was the only patient in this room in this big 15 by 20 room had all this equipment in it. And it's like, my God, they, they got basically everything in here to do anything to anybody, but it was all dedicated for anybody that's in this bed that needs this type of care. This is where you're going to get it. And that's where I ended up. And when I had the surgery, I was thinking I was just going to end up in a typical recovery room, you know, like everybody else does on any, you know, same day surgery, not this time, not this time. And then I later found out through uh, the medical personnel that I suffered a cardiac arrest. And when I talked to several anesthesiologists, they said the only way that that would happen is if that anesthesiologist got the mixture wrong. They said that there's three mixtures that come down. There's three hoses that go into one and, when, and, it, be, and it mixes before it goes into your IV. And if you get that mixture wrong, it's basically like they euthanize you because that's what they do to pets. When you have your pet put down, they give the pet an overdose of anesthetic. And it stops the heart. And that's what it did to me. Hmm. And then they had to bring me back. Wow. That's a, that's a, I want to say an amazing story, but it's also a frightful story at the same time. It is because to be honest with you, because I cannot prove that that was my dad, because there again, I couldn't, I couldn't see a face. If, if I would have seen a face, then yeah, I would have been, you know, it's like, there's dad, but because it was putting emphasis on his legs and, and I was like being told like, Sub subconsciously in my mind, it was like, pay attention to his legs, pay attention to his legs because he's walking again. So I, I just assumed that was my dad. But there again, I've heard other near-death experiences. Um, um, I can't remember his name, if his name was David Storm or something Storm, where he, he had a near-death experience in a hospital and a hallway appeared similar like to mine. And there was people that were like going down it in a hurry and they're like, quick, come with us, come with us. And then when he did, they drug him off to hell. And, and so I... I really don't know how to interpret what, what happened 
there with that hallway, but I hope it wasn't something that was going to be deceiving and bad and something making me think it was something other than what it was. And then if it would have made it to my bed, you know, revealed what it really was and something negative happened. I, I don't know, but that's what happened. But um, the veil, when they say the veil of life is very, very thin, like these playing cards, how it was for me when I was in my, in that bed, in that trauma unit that I woke up in, um, after they restarted my heart and brought me back and the bed that I was in, I was in the same room, same bed, but it was like an overlapping dimension. It was like, I was right on top of it just above. So my body was like here and, and I was right here. I was just above the bed was just above the bed. My body was just above my body and the room was just above, uh, the room. So it was, it was like one right on top of the other. It's like we were stacked up. And while I was experiencing what was going on up here, I had no idea the chaos that was going on down here. And I never got to see my body. I never got to look at myself. I just knew when that happened that I'm no longer in the hospital. I'm not in a recovery room. Something went wrong. That thought came to my mind immediately. I knew something was wrong because when you wake up in a room where there's nothing in it and it's and just you and you're all alone and you see a hallway just open up in front of your vision you know, like, uh, like editing software and, and the walls and everything are lit like a computer screen. Yeah. I knew I was somewhere weird somewhere else. And it, again, it was the only time that something like that happened during a same day surgery. So all the surgeries that I've had since then, I always made it a point to tell the, the staff that I want to talk to the anesthesiologist to tell them that this had happened to me before, because I don't want it to happen again. You know, not, not that it was, a, it wasn't frightening. It wasn't fearful. Um, it, it was peaceful, unbelievably peaceful and uh, just serene and comfortable. Even though I couldn't feel my body, it's like my, my inner soul felt comfortable, content, like it was natural, like I was where I was supposed to be. I just wasn't prepared to be there. I wasn't planning on when I come to, it's like, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be in the afterlife. You know, I had no idea that was going to happen. And, um, and so I didn't get discharged out of the hospital until much later, much later than I was supposed to be. And as, and as the nurse wheeled me out in the wheel, wheelchair with my discharge papers and everything in my hand, and we're just getting to the electric doors where it goes out into that, that little you know, horseshoe drive where your ride is waiting for you after you're discharged from the hospital, there was a receptionist area on the left with the sliding windows and the one window was slid back. And there was this large crystal, big, tall vase full of red stem roses. And she stopped, she reached through the window, she pulled out a rose and she handed it to me. I've never had that happen before anytime upon leaving the hospital anywhere at any time for any reason. And it was almost like she was saying, you know, glad you're here. Glad you're alive. Because when they told me they had an awful hard time bringing me back, I was wondering, my God, how many times did they shock me? And, and is that why my chest was killing me? Was it from the, the jolts of them shocking me with that crash car or was they, or were they doing chest compressions and making my ribs flex? Is that why my ribs felt like they were broke, but it's a true story. All that happened. And, um, but they swept it under the rug. Nobody wanted to tell me at first what happened. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's when I realized that, uh, I went somewhere 
um, immediately. There, there was no floating up to the ceiling first, then, then viewing, you know, all the steps people go through with NDEs, though a lot of them are different. Some of them have similarities to where uh, they have some things where they experience the same. Um, it's like I skipped all that. I just went from here to there. And, and but I was like, I knew, I knew I was only just feet. It felt like I was just feet above myself, you know, and, and, but I was like, my body was like underneath my back, underneath my body of where I was laying in the bed. And I knew something was going on down there while what was happening to me up here. And that's when I had that second thought where I said, well, they'll fix it. Whatever happened, they'll fix it. And they did. Mm-hmm. But it's so weird that I was in the afterlife and I actually had those thoughts mm-hmm. that something went wrong, but they'll fix it. Right. And so I waited for them to fix it. It almost seems like to me that your story is a great example of you physically not changing any location, but you just change dimensions. Exactly. Like in one dimension on top of another and you were in another dimension. Exactly. That is exactly what it felt like. Exactly. Um, Without having to go far to get there. Like I said, it, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a veil. It's very, very thin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> more, more thin than I ever could have possibly dreamed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, it's almost like our two dimensions are touching. Mm-hmm. It's like we're here and then we're here. That quick. Mm-hmm. That quick. It's, you know, where you, you hear some people say it's like death is like walking in from one room into the other. Mm-hmm. That's why they say that. And it's true. It doesn't matter if you float up in to get into it or you go sideways to get into it, but it's like, it's, it's almost like we're a a bubble within a bubble. Mm -hmm. And so you go from one and transition into the other. And that's exactly how it was for me. Now, will it be like that the next time, you know, like if I die for real, or if I were to have another NDE, I really don't know because I know some people talk, you know, that they never have like two identical NDEs. Um, You know, they're not, if they have one, the second one will be a little bit different from the first. So I, I don't know, you know, what would be the case then? Uh, all I know is what I saw when that happened. And it, it, it was just so strange that, that, that I, was, I had the ability to comprehend so fast. Within a second, it's like something happened. I'm, I'm in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. It came to me that quick. Mm-hmm. I don't know if something gave me that information or if I came up on it on my own, but I just knew this is too far out to be the, to be reality because I never seen anything like it before. I just knew I was somewhere different, somewhere different. And I, and I think the reason why my NDE was interrupted when that man was just, just getting ready to make it to my bed. And, um, and they brought me back. I, I, I don't know if by starting my heart interrupted it, or if that's all the more I was allowed to see, see, it's really hard to know what's what, but I do know what happened was real. And I, and it's so fresh in my memory. I mean, it's like it happened yesterday. I, it's something you never forget. Mm-hmm. And, and the one thing that really changed um, for me after having that experience is when I came back, I had an overwhelming feeling like I had just been dropped off in a ghetto. This world is like a dump compared wow. to where we go. Mm-hmm. A dump. Everything felt stuffy and congested and uh, 
it, it was imagine being dropped off at an alleyway where there's there's graffiti and garbage and rats i mean that's that's what it felt like when i came back it, and, and maybe it's because there was so much stuff in that room but it just it was like oh god i'm back here again mm-hmm. and that's when all that pain hit me and oh my god jeff the pain i mean if that's the kind of pain you get if they use paddles on you if you suffer a heart attack or something i would not wish that on my worst enemy honest to god i would not wish that on anybody and i'm a thin guy and you know and i i really don't have a lot of chest to take stuff like that but not, i often wonder man were the lights over at walmart across the road dimming when they were shocking me <laughs> you know because man they did a number on me but uh yeah i mean they brought me back and it, it basically interrupted uh that world and then and then just as fast as i went there i came back just as quick so it's like boom i was there and then they started my heart and boom i was back so I didn't really get a, a chance to travel. I didn't really get a chance to see if there were like uh, deceased relatives, family, pets, um, you know, beautiful gardens or going out into the galaxy and looking at the universe and planets. And I never got that far. It's like I was just just elevated. And but yet I was in a different reality, a completely different reality. And it was as real as real gets. I'll give you an example. When uh, I've been a lifelong artist all my life, and if you took a barn and you went out to location and you had this beautiful rustic barn and you took a pad and a, uh, and a pencil and a camera, you take a picture of the, of the barn. And then after you take a picture of the barn, you sit down in a chair and you draw the barn. And then when you get back home, you print out that photo and you put the uh, two by both of them side by side. The drawing is going to look fake compared to the photo photo is going to be, you know, high definition, very clear and everything. This world is like this. It looks like crap. It doesn't look, it doesn't look like the real deal. So if you look at a drawing of a barn versus looking at the barn or photographing the barn, that world is far more clear than whatever you could imitate it to be. So that's exactly what it was like. And that's why I knew I was somewhere that was like, ultra ultra high definition mm-hmm. ultra clarity very very amazing first i want to say you are a terrific artist because that's a great picture oh thank you but i want to follow it up um with do you feel like that's the real world and this is the dream no i've never really i've heard of that i've heard of people talk about how this is like something this is the reality that we create i i don't necessarily believe that and i don't i certainly don't feel that way um, I, I feel like that we're, we're constantly on, on a journey We're we're just constantly on a journey and I don't think it ends here. And I don't, and I don't, I don't think that this is where it began either. I, I think that we were other places and this is just another location along the way. And then when we're finished here, we go on kind of like when you go up through school, you know, you start out preschool, kindergarten, you go up through all the grades and everything. Then you graduate, then you go on to college and then it just, it's just more of the same and it continues on or it's at a higher level. I think it's kind of, if I think about it metaphorically, I think that it's on that same order to where we're just constantly seeking to learn and to understand. However, I don't seem to understand as good as most people, because I think it leaves me with more questions than, than answers. And, and that bothers me because I'm a person that has always been hungry for answers and to understand stuff. And when I can't understand something, it, it drives me up the wall because it will stay with me. It will stay with me until I can get someone to at least explain something enough to me to say, okay, I'm satisfied enough with that to where I can let it go. But I'm so thirsty for knowledge and to understand things. And that's another thing that it did to me is it made me a lot more curious. 
and it didn't really like uh give me anything new but it enhanced what i already had and i've always had the ability to see into the future and and to see things before they happen which i cannot explain how i'm even able to do such a thing but it definitely enhanced that and i'm here to tell you jeff the things that i see are mind-blowing because when it unfolds it unfolds exactly as it is it'd be like if you had that carbon copy paper you know where you you uh like like on a receipt um where you, uh what is a waitress when they're taking your order and then they lift it up and, and they'll they'll tear out the, the the under paper and everything and it'll have exactly what she wrote on it underneath of it that that's how my that's how my uh visions are to where i can see something exactly as it happens and then it happens exactly as i saw it and I've got it on my channel where I, I told my audience on uh, my subscribers um, a year in advance that three military jets were going to fly down our lake from north to south, three of them, and they were going to be military. Never happened, never, ever. And I've lived here for 50 years. It's never happened, and it has not happened since. And last year, three military jets flew from north to south down our lake that's 16 miles long in honor of essential workers for covid and I saw it a year before it happened and it's on video and it's on my channel. So, um, and that's just a quick vision that I had to where I I've had some that maybe someday I could tell you about them to where it's spooky. Hmm. It's spooky how they unfolded exactly. And I was being told as I saw it, I was being told, pay attention to this, pay attention to that. Notice every single detail while well, being an artist, I've been an artist all my life. I'm used to paying attention to details. So it's, it's nothing for me to do that, but it was just saying, notice things that you otherwise wouldn't maybe observe, because when you see this happen in your life, it's going to be exactly like you saw it. And it is every single time, 100%. Do you have any like prophecies right now that things that you, that you've seen in the future that you're waiting for them to pass? pretty much everything that i saw um happened um other than we got a bridge that's 1.6 miles that goes uh crosses over our lake in the center um where it's 60 feet deep and uh when though when i had that vision of those three jets it showed that bridge collapse into five colossal chunks into the lake where i could see the rebar and the broken concrete and everything in this bridge just the remnants of it sticking up out of the lake and they had cones set up on Interstate 86, which is the main um, east uh, to west route along southern New York, just above the New York-Pennsylvania state line. And, um, and I don't know if that was a metaphor, uh, because that's when I saw the jets flying down our lake. And, and so I was thinking, well, is it war? Um, you know, what is this? Well, when the jets uh, flew down uh, our lake for honoring essential workers, um, I thought, well, maybe the bridge means that things are going to be shut down because the highway was shut down because you can't drive the interstate if that bridge isn't there. So I'm wondering if that wasn't symbolic to, so I would understand what those jets were for. And it's like, Oh, okay. I can see it now. But um, everything that I saw came true. Uh, I mean, I've had visions of cars I was going to own and buy and, and even what kind of seat covers would be on the seats, what color it would be, what, what kind of car it would be where I would drive it. I've seen homes that family members have that, um i saw before they bought them and then went there and it was the exact house and it would show me you know if i would meet a woman um what her name would even be and that one when that happened 
that was the most unbelievable vision I ever had because every single thing that it showed me not only came true, but it happened in exactly in all the steps as it unfolded, mirrored it like it was a recording and you rewound it and then hit play and watched it again. The steps were A, B, C, D, you know, in order and everything played out exactly as it showed me. And it said that the woman's name would be Linda. And it told me at three times, Linda, 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 as I was walking behind her because we were going outside so we could hear each other talk because a band was playing at a nightclub and it showed me this nightclub I'd never been in in my life. I had no idea where it was, what what nightclub it was. And, and when I eventually went there after it opened brand new and I saw the inside as it was in my vision and I saw this woman on the other side of the bar and realized, oh my God, that's her. And then she came over to talk to me and introduce herself as we were having a couple of drinks the, the band was playing so loud that we couldn't even hardly yell loud enough into each other's ears. So she's like, you know, she motioned to me and like pulled on my shoulder and I spun around with her and she had me follow her outside. And I followed her just like the vision showed me. And the vision told me she's five feet tall. She weighs 90 pounds. She's a brunette. She's got permed hair. She's got a black leather jacket, black skirt, stiletto, high heels, stockings with the seam going right down the back of the legs. And it said, her name is Linda. And it told me it three times. When we got out to the patio, it was pretty nasty weather. It was late in the season. It was cold. It was rainy. It wasn't whether you'd want to be out on the, the patio of this nightclub. So, But we went out there so we could hear each other talk. And when we found a table that was dry enough to sit down at, and we started talking, she says, by the way, my name's Melinda. Mm. Melinda. Interesting. I about fell on the floor when she told me that. Do you feel like you've been spiritually transformed by this experience in any other way? Not really other than, um, well, I guess you could say so, but I mean, it's, it's not profound enough for me to really say it was transforming, but it just made me more aware that uh, materialistic things are not important. Don't even care if I obtain a lot or have little. It's irrelevant. I, I don't care about that. You know, um, to me, what's important, what what really made me f- uh, feel like was the greatest thing was um, loving somebody, having somebody in your life. You know, um, if you're married, uh, be grateful and and spend as every waking minute with that person as you can um, and. Tell that person how much you love them, how much you care about them, and uh, just just make the most out of that. Because when I came back, it, it made me realize just how fast life goes, and and we can go at any time. And it was kind of a lonely feeling, you know, because uh, it really made me want to be married. Hmm. And before that, I was I was never thought that way. Um, I've never been married. I've never had kids. And now since the surgery, I can't have kids anyway, because Dr. Green told me, he says, uh, you plan on having kids? And I was like, no, no. He says, good, because you won't after this. So um, I, I never had kids. I never got married. But that made me wish I had a soulmate because when I realized how fast we can get unplugged from this world, and it's, and I say unplugged because it's like literally like taking a lamp pulling it out of the, out of the wall socket and, and the light goes off and then you put it in and the light goes back on. That, that's how fast you can come and go from, from this world into the next dimension. It, it, it's unbelievably quick. And, um, and we don't know how it plays out because all these people that talk about near death experiences. Yeah. They talk about something that happened 
like within like five minutes of them being dead, 20 minutes of them being dead, two hours, seven hours, however long it was before they revived and, and miraculously didn't suffer brain damage. But what's the afterlife like long-term people that are in cemeteries that have been dead for a hundred years, 200 years, where are they and what are they going through and, and what did they graduate into? And have they already lived several lives and they're way ahead of us? You know, on other planets, way ahead of us, because they're in 11th grade and we're only in third grade, mm -hmm. you know, so these are the things I wonder. And I also wonder, you know, like with the, the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, the Bible talks about being born again. And though it doesn't specifically uh, mean that it's like being born, you know, like a baby. But what if that tunnel and the light at the end is a birthing canal? Mm -hmm. You know, we don't remember being born, but it, if, if we had clear vision being born, isn't that kind of like what you'd see if you're coming out head first? You're seeing the the light in the room from the hospital. And as you're coming out the birthing canal, that's the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, these are just kind of the things I think about. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's the case, but I'm wondering if these people aren't seeing something that just isn't represented of uh, what we've already been through. Mm -hmm. So it's really, and that's why it's, it feels familiar to us. It's like, you know, I've, I've been here before. I've done this before. Yeah, because you were born. Maybe that's why. Maybe they're not just connecting the dots and putting two and two together. I mean, that's, that's the grand mystery, right? But I don't know if we'll ever know. I mean, I believe we'll know all one day, but uh, no, I, I don't, I don't think it stops. I think it just keeps going because uh, what, what would be the point in it stopping? I mean, if we're, if we're going to go through this experience and live on this planet and go through this lifetime, our life here in the now, and then we go somewhere else and then someone says, oh, well, it's all over with. Did you enjoy it? No, you can just loiter around, play golf, do whatever you want. You know, go fish down at the pond. It's all over with. No, I think I think we go on and we do a lot more, and we just keep evolving. And what we evolve into, I don't, I don't know. You know, and hopefully it just isn't ever anything that's against our will. I hope it's always something where we have choice and something says, "Do do you want to experience this one more time, or how about you experience this life now? Would you like to try this?" And for the, those of us that raise our hand and, you know, like stupid me, I said, yeah, I want to come to earth, you know? Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> so who knows? Maybe that's what happens. I, I really don't know. Do you fear but, death? No, no. I, 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 I'm kind of worried more about how I will die. I mean, like I wouldn't want to be caught up in a, in a hay, you know, a hay bind or something. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to smack a semi head on and I wouldn't want to be mauled by a bear. Cause I do a lot of hiking, camping and fishing, canoeing. Um, I've encountered bear and, you know, I just look at the animal and I think, Oh, that's a big bear. I would, I would hate to be down on my back on a trail and have that thing on top of me mauling me. I mean, that's what I'm afraid of. That's what I'm afraid of is how I'm going to die. Dying now. I, I think, you know, because I was showing that it can happen fast. And, and when I think about it, did I experience the pain of death? No, I was under, so there was nothing to feel. I, I didn't feel anything until I came back. So I think, I think that death isn't painful. Uh, going into the afterlife feels a million times better than it does being here. We have more to worry about being here than we do there. Mm -hmm. That's, that's just how I see it. Mm -hmm. And, and um, yeah, so no, I'm not afraid of it. It's, it's the how, you know, it's interesting. What made me think about is I've had two guests that have either been hit by a bus or a car or something, and they never really, remembered or encountered that being a painful incident i think at impact they were out of their body just kind of right. like you were yeah I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about that there was a gentleman i listened to on youtube um under his uh, uh testimony of when he, he uh there again had a head-on collision 
he said he saw it coming like in fast forward. He saw the the headlights and the grill of the other vehicle getting closer, 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 closer. And he says, right before impact, he says he left his body. Mm-hmm. So it was like a guardian angel or whatever. Some, some, some force allowed him to escape that horrific impact. So he wouldn't experience it. So he wouldn't feel his bones being broken. So he wouldn't feel his face going into the windshield. Mm-hmm. He said he literally was spared that. Mm-hmm. And, and that falls under the mercy of God. That's what I believe, you know, because throughout the Bible, it speaks about Jesus being merciful and, 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 and being the Prince of mercy and being there for us all. And I believe we have guardian angels. I, I believe wholeheartedly in all that, because in the beginning, when I told you that I got a story where uh, an angel stayed with me in the hospital where I was born um, 50 years ago, uh, stayed with me for seven nights in the hospital following tonsillectomy surgery and had to go into emergency surgery because I hemorrhaged. And she stayed with me. And that story is, uh, you know, like I said, if you'd want to have me back sometime for that, I'd be more than happy to tell your audience and you mm-hmm. about that true story because it was the the most profound, the most profound thing that ever happened to me. And as the nights went on, I put two and two together and I realized she's not staff. Mm-hmm. She's not of this world. Mm-hmm. She's not even human. Did you get any sense of what those three beings that were with you were? You sensed that they were female. Did you possibly yeah, to tell you the truth, angels? To, to tell you the truth, um, when I've really thought about this in my head about who they were, I think it was like residual energy of the staff that was trying to save my life below. That's, that's what I think it was. I think I was picking up their energy because like I said, I felt like... I, you know, you know how they say as above, so below, you know, and, and, and life is like a yin yang, you know, you got, you got the opposite of everything. you got positive, negative, hot, cold, black, white, it, there, there's opposites to every single thing in the world. Well, I think when you die, it's kind of like the same thing. It's, it's like a, a, a mirror of yourself. And, and so when you're, when you leave your body, it's like, you know, it, some people go up really, really high. Some people don't go up high at all. Some people don't even go up. They're, they're just, they're like standing and looking at their body. You know, they're on the floor standing like it, like if I was standing up and then there's some people that are like up in the corner of the room. So what dictates the type of NDE a, a specific person has? I don't know if it has to do with your personality, the makeup of yourself. Um, that's what dictates what kind of uh, experience you have or what you assume it would be like, what, what you think it would be like. Does it match? the desire you'd want to have. I I really don't know. I don't know what decides ultimately the experience we all have when when we die, whether if it's just temporarily or permanently, I I don't know. Right. The way I interpret it is, and who am I to interpret, but from just listening to over a hundred stories is that obviously in the real world, it was an accident, but it was even you were accidentally there I kind of feel like it was your father that was coming to t- probably coming to say, "Hey, it's not your time. You, you need you're going to go back." Because I, it seems a lot reasonable to me that you were pointing out to his legs, and yeah. even before he had a chance to say it's time to go back, they pulled you back. Right. I well, I I agree with you, Jeff, and and uh, the re- the reason why I I really felt like it was my dad is because it wasn't it wasn't me putting emphasis on his legs it was like it was being done for me something mm-hmm. was there again like when 
uh, Linda, when, when it gave me her name, her name was Linda. She had Linda in her name, but her name was Melinda. Like when it was giving me her name, it was almost the same way to where it was like, look at his legs, pay attention to his leg. But this wasn't a vision. Um, this, you know, was nothing like a vision. This was real. This was in real time. It was happening. Mm-hmm. It was, I was experiencing this in real time. Um, but it was, it, I had this sense of like, look at his legs, notice his legs, look at his feet. And he was dressed very dapper in a suit. And my dad was buried in a suit. And, um, and I just felt like it was my dad restored. He had legs again. Mm-hmm. And, but because I couldn't see him from the waist up, I can't prove that. But I, I hope, I hope that was the case because if there was anybody, there's really only two people I'd want to see when I die, mm-hmm. either Jesus or my dad, because right. I know either of them would be more than happy to explain things to me. Right. Or at least I hope they would. Because right. <laughs> I have, I have 7 billion questions. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very hungry for uh, knowledge to know what is this all about, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd like to think that it's not just one big mind game for us all, that there is a point and a purpose to it. Right. All right. Well, let me switch gears on you. You are a fellow YouTuber. I don't like to really like that word, but you know, a YouTube content creator. Yes. And um, so tell us about your YouTube channel. What kind of videos do you make? Um, a little bit of everything and anything, but mainly it's, uh, anybody that knows me, that's been following me a long time. I've been doing it since 2013 or no, 2008, and um, I've had lots of different channels, but uh, my main, what I do is regardless of whatever channel I've had, it's always been outdoor themed. Um, I do a lot of camping and fishing, um, canoeing. And for the longest time, I had a channel that was called Tiny Teardrops because I used to build uh, teardrop campers. I built five of them from the frame up and that's what really got a following for me. And uh, I've uh, since then acquired Dupuytren's contracture disease of the hands, which uh causes them to contract up into a fist and you can't open your hands. And I've had multiple surgeries on my hands. So I had to give that up, but I just recently, I got a Toyota van sitting out in the driveway, a Sienna, I took all the seats out of it and I converted it into an RV. So it's got a dinette, a couch, full bed, everything. It's got a shower. Um, so it's, uh, that's what I do. I, I like to create things, make things and, and do camp trips. I do videos. I take on my cameras and tripods and stuff with me and go out in a canoe. I do trout fishing. So it's all the outdoors, but then I'm also um, a person that thinks outside of the box and anybody that knows me knows that I like to talk about the paranormal, the afterlife. I've done videos where I go to cemeteries. I visit tombstones and just kind of just out of curiosity. It's like, wow, look at this stone. You know, it's 200 years old. This person died when they were like 26. I wonder how they died. And so I got videos like that on my channel. So really my, my um, sub base, they really don't know what to expect but they know that i'm within those parameters of the curious side and then the hobby side so it's hobby and curiosity kind of mixed together and they seem to like it and it's called getting along alone because i i do everything alone you know i camp alone fish alone canoe alone hike alone um so that's uh they say it's a depressing name but i'm honest (laughs) so getting along alone are you a public or private person? Because public, pe- very public. Okay, because people may see this uh, podcast, and you know they'll see your name, and then they might reach out to you on Facebook. So if they reach out to you, will you reciprocate? Absolutely. Yes, I try to get back to everybody that gets a hold of me. Um, you know, I would try that even if I had a hundred thousand subscribers. I'd do my best to get back to people because I'm a people person. I like talking to people. I talk to my subs on the phone. 
Um, you know, they call me long distance and we talk on the phone. I can talk to anybody. I can chat with people in, in uh, Facebook. My Facebook page is just Kevin Town, T-O-W-N, no E. And um, I'm on there and, uh, you know, I got subs that come over there. And so, yeah, I'm a public person. And, you know, uh, I, I just wish that there was more people local because for some reason with YouTube, it just seems like the, the, the subs that you gain are always from like the opposite side of the country or they're way down south because if I could get a group together to do a camp out and do a video of it and get a bunch of people together for a good time, I think that'd be a lot of fun, but it just unfortunately never happens because everyone lives more than a thousand miles away. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. Well, before we wrap it up, do you have one last message that you'd like to share with the audience? Yes. That message would be the one and only, like I mentioned before, is that uh, if you have somebody in your life or if you're married, um, appreciate that person and, um, tell that person often that you love them and how much you care about them and think about them and surprise them with, uh, you know, a card, um, gifts, whatever. I believe that's important because, um, you know, when, when you don't, you don't have that and you go through life thinking, I will eventually, you could be gone before it happens mm-hmm. and, you know, things happen quick. So no different with kids. You know, if you've got kids, um, I'll never know what it's like to be a dad. I'll never know what it's like to be a parent. So be it. But, you know, for those of you that have children, um, know what a gift they are. Mm-hmm. Know what a gift everybody is. Just always remember what a gift everybody is and treat everybody as good as you can. Hmm. That's a great message. Let me ask you this. I don't know why this just came to my mind and I can delete this if you want me to. But uh, are you a single or are you in a relationship? Single. I just have a feeling like, some, you know, you're a good guy and I feel like someone's going to see this podcast and reach out to you and say, hey, Kevin, let's go on a camping trip or let's meet up. That would be great. That's like my biggest dream. Yeah. <laughs> that is the truth. I mean, my dreams are simple, but that's my biggest dream. Oh, wow. All right, Kevin. Well, I hope that dream comes true and I wish you the best and I wish you success with your YouTube channel and have a great evening. Thank you, Jeff. It was a pleasure. And um, I hope we can uh, do this again uh, when you want. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun and I appreciate it. And you're very good at what you do and you're making a difference. So don't ever forget that. And bye to your audience and hopefully we'll chat again someday. All right. Thank you. And I hope so. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.